0: your little thing. Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the second Saturday of the month, which means it's time for Moving Medicine Forward with Dr. Michael Clapper and Dr. Zach Burns. And today, they're going to be talking about a very timely topic, obesity, and weight loss drugs. Please welcome them both back to the show. Hello, doctor and doctor.
1: Hi, (laughs) Hi, everybody.
0: everybody. Hi. So, you know, we, we started off with a bang last month. And in case this is someone's first introduction to either or both of you, maybe you could talk a little bit about what moving
1: medicine forward is and why it's
0: so important.
1: Uh, Well, as the director of Moving Medicine Forward, I can say briefly uh, that uh, we are a group of physicians and concerned people, patients and uh, anyone with a body who wants to be healthier, Uh, trying to address the abysmal gap in doctors' knowledge about what their patients are eating and how it affects their lives and their health and their bodies. Uh, There's this this huge black hole in medical education where we just blow right past uh, the effects of diet uh, when it comes to healing. And uh, Moving Medicine Forward is trying to directly address uh, the effects of nutrition on on health and healing and how physicians uh, and all healers uh, deal with the uh, very important issue of the standard American diet and its effects. Uh, I've been a physician for the last five decades, over 50 years, and uh, Dr. Burns is uh, a uh, uh finishing his uh residency in family medicine and uh, both of us are uh greatly concerned about the health of uh of americans and uh, everyone who's watching this show and uh i'm really valuing uh, the uh perspective of uh both aj uh, who deals with oh dr clapper froze
0: dr burns are you frozen
2: oh i'm not frozen
0: Okay, Dr. Clapper's frozen, so you're going to, like, you know how in improv we have this game where you finish the person's (laughs) sentence? So until we can unfreeze Dr. Clapper, you can take off with his last sentence.
2: Well, okay, it looks like he's rejoining. Well, basically, so I've been lucky to be involved in moving medicine forward for several years, and we our target is medical and other health professional students so that we can make sure their curriculum, their training, includes nutrition. We consider it the only chance we have of tackling chronic disease because the way things are going, when we emphasize drugs and procedures in medical school and in other training uh, schools, we won't get the job done.
0: Do you think there'll ever come a time, and, and I see Dr. Clapper in the waiting room. I just don't know if he can hear us and know that he, he we can't see or hear him, but I know he's here. Dr. Burns, do you ever think there'll be a time where like there could be even a law passed? in Congress to say it is mandatory for doctors don't have to do this, but to at least know this.
2: There have been some resolutions. I think in in the um, legislative space, there's some work being done because people are recognizing that medical students really need to learn about nutrition. It's kind of basic. So we're, we're working on it. It's a multi-pronged project. Hey, he's back.
0: Yay, Dr. Clapper, thanks for coming. While you were logging on again, I asked Dr. Burns if he ever thought there'd come a time
1: where it would be a law where it would be mandatory for nutrition to be taught in medical school. Uh oh, happy day! Uh, should that kind? It really shouldn't be necessary. Really, uh, it's such a fundamental part of health and healing and and living. Uh, it, we shouldn't have to. It shouldn't require a lobby passed The doctors learn about nutrition, but it's probably going to come to that. And and I'll begrudgingly welcome it. Anything that gets our colleagues aware that what our patients are eating is why they're sitting in front of us, by and large. And and it's the most powerful healing tool available to us that we really need to learn how to take advantage of.
0: You know, there's so much to learn in medical school because my understanding is whatever specialty you become, you still have to learn all the others. How will they fit it in? And do do you think that, Dr. Burns, because you recently went to medical school, did you feel that other students would have liked to have learned it or were you an anomaly?
2: No, of course. People find it really valuable. They're really excited when... We, as Moving Medicine Forward, approach them and say, would you like to have some more nutrition in the curriculum? Do you want to have Dr. Clapper, Dr. Burns speak um, so we can do a journal club and look at the role of diet in either promoting or preventing disease? People, are they love it, and most of the faculty love it and the patients, but it's just its, it's not part of the system yet. We're working on it. Yeah. Um, I think people, once they start their clinicals, third and fourth year, they're going on the wards, and they're seeing patients, and a pattern starts to develop I say, wait a minute! Everyone's got the same conditions. It's heart disease, diabetes. Um, it's complications of obesity. It's um, premature Alzheimer's and disability, arthritis, uh, undue autoimmune disease. You know that was that, that was made more uh, likely because of the underlying chronic disease and metabolic syndrome. And so students are, you know, these are smart kids. So they're they're figuring out. Wait a minute. Could we do something to prevent this? or even reverse it. So they are interested.
0: You know, I'm curious. though, so, okay, so doctors learn medicine, but that patients might still get sick, might still be in hospital. Have you ever noticed the kind of food that's served in hospitals? I used to be a respiratory therapist in a hospital and the cafeteria did have a salad bar, but everything else there was pretty much inedible by somebody that eats like us. and. I have actually spoken at hospitals to try to improve food service, at least to get some sodium out, because their low sodium soup was like 1500 milligrams. And what they tell me in hospitals is they have to give the hyperpalatable food to the patients or they get bad reviews.
2: So there's this organization, Greener by Default, that is doing amazing work. They're partnering with hospitals. So they were. The masterminds behind that big New York City public hospital uh, well, change.
1: It looks like uh Oh boy, have they frozen up and oh, am that's I so funny. here? I don't that's know. That's so funny because so. Dr. Clapper uh, thinks
0: that's funny. Because we're, we're actually yes. to each other, we're not frozen. And Dr. Clapper is frozen, but at least he can hear us. I wonder if he'll he'll understand to use the chat feature. So let me try chatting with him. But the question was about do you, you know that the, the hospitals have actually said that if they don't give the patients the food that they want, they get a bad review. Cause I guess, you know, when you're in the I haven't been in the hospital, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah.
2: They they the hospitals do think a lot about patient satisfaction. And that has been an impediment to some of the dietary reform. But uh, there's still a lot of patients who would be totally up for it, especially because these healthier foods in hospitals can be delicious. So I was mentioning Greener by default, who masterminded that plan in New York City, which has been implemented where um, where all the inpatients, by default, get vegan meals. And they, they have to opt out twice in order to get, and they can, ultimately it's their decision. They could have omnivorous meals, but the default is plant-based and they're saving money. And of course, getting uh, patients better more readily so they can be discharged from the hospital.
0: Have you heard of that hospital in Beirut that is a vegan hospital? No. Yeah, I had him on the show, George Hayek and he owns a hospital in, I guess, Lebanon and it's a vegan hospital.
2: Brilliant.
0: Pretty cool. Dr. Clapper, are you back with us?
1: Yes, I'm back with you. Oh, yeah. great.
0: I'm so great. happy. It's so funny because we could hear you, Dr. Clapper, but maybe we were frozen to you, but Zach and I, yes, I Dr. We were Hans frozen and I,
1: to me. Yes, right. we're yes. able
0: to hear each other. Well, so we said we were going to talk about obesity today, and I don't know what the current statistics are, but it seems like that's a leading cause of a lot of the problems that you were talking about. But now the treatment, at least for the rich and for people uh, that that can get it are the weight loss drugs, Ozempic, Wagovi. Why do you think it's become such a cultural phenomenon?
1: Because we're Americans and we like uh, quick easy and instant fixes to all our problems and what could be better than than uh, a once a week shot that unless you eat anything you want and still lose weight I mean it's just a merchandiser's dream it's uh, the overweight person's dream it's the doctor's dream it's really easy just to write that prescription and uh, we'll see you in a month and uh, so all the way around it it's uh, a drug that panders to just the uh, uh, to be the, uh, careful with the adjectives here, but uh, with the most convenient desires of uh, of our patients. But really, uh, it's uh, trying to cheat Mother Nature and, and avoid some laws of physics and physiology and ultimately is detrimental to our health. We'll be talking about that. But these are uh, these are certainly no shortcuts to a healthy life, uh, for sure. In fact, it uh, may well be just the opposite, actually, inviting uh, diseases of all kinds pipes in even though we're losing weight we'll talk yeah. about it
0: you think there's going to be some long-term unknown side effects to these drugs for people that are on them because my understanding is you don't just take it and lose weight once you've lost your weight you got to still stay on it
1: you got to stay on it if you stop it the weight comes right back with the vengeance and so that's just one of the problems uh, absolutely yeah and uh, uh, along with uh, paying a thousand dollars a month or, or more and uh, it's and it's it's tragic for us uh, you know, who deal with whole food and nutrition uh, and, uh, from the plant-based world, uh, knowing that if people just change their diet, just fill their belly up with soups and salads and curries and chilies and all the wonderful high fiber, high water content plant-based foods, the weight comes off on its own uh, and in a healthy manner. But uh, Americans, many people don't want to change their diet. So what else? Ooh, there's a pill. There's a shot. Oh, let's do that. And, uh, and off we go into uh, Ozempic land and uh, with all these consequences that we'll talk about.
0: Yeah, what, what does the medical community think? Like, I, I, I mean, you don't, you, I don't think either of you have a traditional practice, but Dr. Burns, you're still doing your residency. So I'm guessing some of your colleagues are, are seeing this and maybe even prescribing it.
2: Yeah, I'm still being in residency. I'm still very much within the mainstream. So we're gonna, I, I've been looking forward to today because I think that people need to hear what's going on in the medical community and what's going on behind the scenes with these weight loss drugs, um, Dr. Cla- Clapper mentions two really key issues. One, and these are these are issues that for me, um, mean that these weight loss drugs, these GLP-1 agonists will never be the solution to obesity. Okay, those two things are that when you stop it, your weight comes right back rapidly. No one denies that. The manufacturers, the, the people in different, you know, Um, stakeholders who are promoting these medications, no one denies that the weight rapidly rebounds immediately on stopping the medication. And the other uh, issue is the cost. So we'll talk about numbers, um, but the cost is egregious. And so it can't be a viable solution in the end to obesity. We have to do something further upstream. But I wanna say a couple of things one is that uh, I consider myself we as moving medicine forward myself personally, we are on the team of people suffering from chronic disease. We have deep compassion for them. We're doing all of this for them um, and for our community to, to so that we can be prepared to tackle chronic disease um, we we recognize I mean I, so and chef aj you've been open about your history being obese and, and i see i see people with chronic disease in the clinic every day they struggle um they they struggle with disability with pain uh with isolation with uh sexual dysfunction and frustration loneliness um uh, i mean it, mental illness so it's really a, a problem and our our goal is to support them, um, and get them feeling better. And we're going to make the argument that the drug companies who are making Ozempic, Wegovy, Terzepatide, they are not necessarily on the, the, the patients are of utmost value to them. Right. But it's just instrumental value. They're not, they don't consider people inherently valuable. It's not in their business model. Um, but it's up to us doctors and, and, our, and our colleagues to, to, to remember the inherent worth of these humans sitting in front of us. What's really the, the treatment for, for this condition? So we'll get into that.
1: And
0: it's a reason they're so expensive because the drug companies can do that with a new drug, or is there something inherently expensive about making these drugs?
1: Oh, I I think uh, these drugs could be manufactured for pennies, uh, quote around pennies, but the the, the actual cost of actually producing the drug, I think is far lower uh, than what they're being sold for. There's just a huge profit margin, uh, much to the delight of the drug companies, but uh, the cost that that inflicts on people, on on healthcare systems uh, is just atrocious. And it's just, it's non-sustainable. And, and as dr burns will tell you um it's being cynically marketed to uh uh to populations uh, that, that often cannot uh, are the ones who most can't afford it uh and uh and that has its own ramifications there's a, a lot of cynical um uh, marketing behind uh these high prices as well
0: yeah you talk you said they're called glp1 what is that exactly and what is the history of these drugs
2: So GLP one, this is a receptor that's in our upper GI system and also in our brain. Glucagon like peptide, right? So the the drug binds to that receptor and triggers a. Now you're
0: now now you're freezing up a little, little bit. uh...
2: Physiology. Mm -hmm. So think of most of. And they have this antagonistic relationship. One goes up, the other goes down. Uh, let's see. Am I back?
0: Yeah, just a little bit of a glitch. Yeah, you're good okay.
2: now. Okay. All right. So, so think of insulin and glucagon as doing opposite work. Now, uh, when you have when you have a glucagon uh, GLP one glucagon like peptide one, right? And it's it's making the body think that there's extra glucagon, so that our endogenous or natural glucagon inside is not doing as much. And therefore the insulin is doing more. So the net effect is promoting the secretion of insulin. And that's, you know, one way to get your sugar down. Okay. And then normally extra insulin promotes weight gain. So it's this paradoxical effect that they're still working on elucidating that actually contributes to the weight loss. we know a couple mechanisms for GLP-1s causing weight loss. One is it it works with the GLP-1 receptor in the brain in the hypothalamus to regulate appetite so it makes your appetite decrease and people eat less. It also uh, inhibits gastric outflow so so if you feel full for longer because not as much food is moving as rapidly through the system.
0: How do they work in the body?
2: So They're that's burned. one way, right, right? So and those are GLP1. So when we think of Ozempic and Wagovi, yeah, can you hear me? Yes. And that's a GLP1 receptor agonist. And then with Monjaro and ZepBound, that's terzepatide, okay, which you guys are frozen again. We'll see if everyone can still hear me. Um, so, so terzepatide is a GLP-1 and it has an additional mechanism. <clears throat> it's a GIP agonist, gastric inhibitory peptide. And so that has an additional effect. Also, it's been found to have receptors in the central nervous system or the brain So it's doing work in the gut and the brain to decrease appetite.
1: Nice. All right. Uh, Well, if I can just add to that, uh, what Dr. Byrne says is an accurate description of the mechanism. But in the real world, in the body, uh, we're mimicking, the, the, we're fooling the, the brain of the body to thinking that your stomach is really full, you've just eaten a meal. Uh, and as a result, uh, many people uh, have a low-grade nausea, they, uh, uh, this can advance uh, into downright vomiting. Um, uh, diarrhea is a frequent uh, side effect of this and uh, people will often just feel generally unwilling i, I don't feel like eating I feel, i'm about to throw up there I, that, and food becomes really unappetizing from from almost from a pathological point of view this is not uh, you know right away you know this is not a really natural uh, mechanism we're taking a a big chemical wrench, if you will, and cranking um, the appetite uh, uh, control mechanism here, but it's—I uh, think—it's a pretty crude club to be using. Uh, Dr. Burns, you want to continue?
2: Yeah, I mean, we we can let's let's certainly get into the evidence for for it, it's working, and then also for the side effects. Both are impressive, to be honest. So um, I have scrutinized the literature on this because I'm very interested in how these trials are conducted and how they how they work. but I can tell you so for the Wagovi trials, they're called it's a, the step series. There's step one through eight and then there's one focused on teenagers. Um, each each trial has a slightly different iteration, but they're basically testing the effect of Wagovi with lifestyle compared to placebo with lifestyle. And on average, people get about 15% weight loss over a little more than a year uh, on the, on Wagovi. And they've done, you know, one of the first trial is, is people with obesity. The second one is people with overweight and a comorbidity. Um, the third one emphasizes lifestyle uh, by the, you know, a, a hypocaloric diet and then more counseling, et cetera. So each, each study is a little bit different. They looked at, you know, one of them looked at people in East Asia and, and uh, more recently, one on teenagers, so patients 12 to 17, to see uh, whether Wagovi would benefit their, you know, it would cause weight loss. So lots to say about that. I mean, the, the data is impressive. The problem is, if, you, if you're being objective, if you're being scientific about it, we have no reason to believe that these trials have any integrity. So they are funded by the manufacturer. So there's this inherent conflict of interest. It'd be, imagine this, you got, you have a, an energy company, oil or gas, coal, and they want to put in a power plant or do some drilling. And instead of an independent firm doing the environmental survey to see if it was appropriate, it's the energy company, the utility company itself, doing the environmental survey and then saying, yep, it looks good, Let, green light, let's do it. So uh, you can't, that's just, I, I feel like it's insulting our intelligence as doctors. <laughs> You're telling us that you ran the study and you have great data for, to justify use of a medication, but everything from the, from, from the inception, from the, the idea for the drug in the, in the study um, to how the trial was designed, to how it was conducted and analyzed and summarized and promoted. It was all a very elaborate orchestration of the drug company who stands to to profit billions of dollars um, from this drug being approved. So one more piece about that is that in these step trials that I mentioned to look at Wagovi, they do include, a lifestyle component. Usually, it's a it's a 500 kilocalorie deficit below the person's baseline caloric need, and it's and it's a uh, recommendation for 150 minutes of activity per week. And why do they why do they care about lifestyle? Well, because a long time ago in the 90s, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, which approves drugs. Um, made a sort of guideline, if you're going to run a trial on a weight loss drug, you need some lifestyle in there. Like, do us a favor. Um, Just put some lifestyle in there. And so that's likely why lifestyle is integrated into the trial design. But what happens is you you read the trial, you read the, the ancillary documents, everything, and there's no report of lifestyle adherence. So we have no indication of whether any participants did the lower calorie diet or the physical activity. So when the conclusion says the people on the drug did better than the people with lifestyle alone, it's meaningless. I don't know what to, to, how to interpret that um, and make a clinical decision. So you know, I think there, the trials are quite flawed, but if you take them at face value, You see significant weight loss. Now, even if we granted that significant weight loss occurs, we still have those problems Dr. Clapper mentioned before, that you get rapid regaining of weight on stopping the medication, and that the cost of these drugs is just, it's it's hard to even wrap our minds around the cost.
0: Have either of you seen patients on these drugs
1: uh, yes, I have. Uh, I had two patients uh, on the on the drug, uh, and uh, uh, it was working for them, and they were very happy, and they uh, wanted me to prescribe it in, in higher doses because uh, their weight loss was slowing down a bit. And um, it was then I, when I left uh, my our telemedicine practice, I handed that patient over to one of the other physicians, uh, but. I'm concerned uh, for for many reasons, and uh, and as you mentioned, you know, could there be unknown side effects? Well, think of what the, the the corner we're painting ourselves into, as Dr. Burns said, when you stop the drug, the weight comes back. So in some ways, we're condemning these people to lifetime medications. You know, we have no idea what it's like to be on these drugs for 10 years or 20 years. Um, And I'm concerned that, you know, they've been approved for, uh, well, children slash teenagers. Well, let me just, you know, mention that when a a human baby is forming in the womb uh, and about to be born, if she's a female, all the 500 eggs that she's going to ovulate in her reproductive life, they're already in her ovaries. Uh, and those are the genetic uh, uh, blueprints uh, for her child, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll leave it at, at that. Uh, well, now she goes on with Wagovi um, or Manjaro uh, as when she's 14 or, or 16, she's going to be running Wagovi through her through those 500 eggs. She hasn't even started ovulating yet, but uh, month after month, year after year, what is? What are these drugs doing to the chromosomes and the genes in her race? Will there be a higher incidence of childhood leukemia in her children's generation? Who knows? This is a huge black box experiment. Uh, And and it's frightening. Um, And so uh, we're... You know they're all saying get a tiger by the tail. You know you can't. You're afraid to let go because tiger's going to turn around and eat you. And uh, we got a similar thing uh, with these drugs once you start people on them. So that's just one of my concerns. Uh, there are there are others uh, that uh, Dr. Burns and I will will all, will touch upon. But uh, uh, this is powerful stuff, and we are distorting. Uh the our our patients, the society's relationship to food, to healing, to the doctor patient relationship. Uh these drugs are distorting all of those in, in that vain hope the quick fix. Take the pill, you lose weight, eat anything you want. You know, that's that's, that's it's productive. not a quick
0: fix if they have to do it forever.
1: Indeed. I mean. Indeed. I mean-
0: you know, it's, the. I'm curious if the patients that you've seen on it, had they tried a whole food plant-based diet and it failed them
1: or did they just want to get straight to the drugs? Both. Uh, they they were both, uh, they were on a whole food plant-based diet. They were losing weight slowly, steadily, but uh, with both of them, one, their boss, a female boss was on the drug and just raving about all the weight she's losing. So I, w- I want the drug my boss is on. And another one was, uh, yeah, I'm losing a uh, Pound or two a week top, but it's it's got to be going faster than this. I've got a wedding coming up in June, and I really want to uh, lose this weight. And so those were the uh, the pressures these people were feeling to get to get on the medication.
0: Wow, I haven't met anybody yet that's on, or at least admitted to be on it. Can you take these drugs in pregnancy? And are there any other contraindications of people that have maybe certain conditions that shouldn't take these drugs?
1: You cannot take the
2: drugs.
1: uh, Yes, go ahead
2: they're contraindicated or not recommended in pregnancy. And so Dr. Clapper was talking about, you know, women because these are being uh, studied and marketed now on reproductive age women, that step teen trial, the 12 to 17 year olds it's approved for. And the American Pediatrics Association is, has become more lax in recommending these medications to teenagers. So, Of course, that's an issue for sort of habit formation. I mean, the brains are, as much as when I was a teenager, I like to think that I sort of had good judgment. I probably didn't have good judgment. So, So they're taking a drug and they're not learning how to build healthy lifestyle habits and they never will, right? And then they might get, and remember that in terms of the drugs stopping, I mean, it's not always up to the patient whether they stop the drug. Um, sometimes there's an insurance lapse because it's difficult to get these drugs covered. So say, you know, you're on your parents' plan and mom's mom gets laid off. Okay. Or dad changes employers or just, and then, or if you're an adult and you, I mean, there's so many different factors. Say you, you're working, but then you go on Medicare, Medicare so far doesn't cover these medications for the indication of weight loss. Then you have a and where are you? You're back at square one because you hadn't developed healthy habits. You didn't have the medical community working with you on those healthy habits. So um, no, contraindicated in pregnancy. And then there are a few other issues because people often have gastric distress on these meds, right? Imagine, imagine I've had patients, I have, I have dozens of patients on these drugs, okay? Um, I don't have as much, control and residency. So some, some patients I inherit from other providers and they're already on them. Um, Sometimes, you know, yesterday I had someone come to me uh, asking to go on one. And I think it's okay in some certain, so I, I, I'm not mm-hmm. suggesting a blanket boycott of all of these weight loss drugs. In select cases, I think it can be the lesser evil compared to the risk associated with unchecked chronic disease, whether it's obesity or diabetes in some cases, Um, but I I think we as doctors can do better in really laying out the risk profile and not just saying, yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty safe, go ahead. So a couple side effects. One, you feel nasty and there's nausea and there can be vomiting, there can be diarrhea. And so when you have what we call a volume contraction, there's not as much fluid pumping through our veins If not enough fluid gets to the kidneys, you can have a kidney injury. It's basically poor blood flow to the kidneys. If that gets out of control, it can be permanent permanent renal injury. Um, You have the risk of pancreatitis because these drugs work on peptides and hormones in the pancreas. They change the architecture. The small ducts can get clogged and build up inflammation. You can get pancreatitis, which is a serious condition. What else? Well, there's a black box warning on these drugs. uh, about Explain
0: explain what a black box warning is. I did not know they had a black box warning. That's
2: very interesting. It's kind of like on, you know, on the cigarette carton, it says, you know, the surgeon general, so they're required to report this because it's a serious uh, consequence or potential consequence of the product. And they're sort of the, the, the company maybe would prefer not to be this explicit about it, but they're, they're required to say that and in this case with, with semaglutide, there's a black box warning about medullary thyroid cancer. Now we don't know how big that risk is. It was mostly seen in the tri, you know, in the, in the clinical research on, or rather the molecular research on, on these rodents, developing thyroid cancer, but we just don't have long-term data yet. The longest one of these drugs has been around 10 years, been out around 10 years. So what else, Dr. K? Am I missing any side effects? I mean, it really, it it works on the whole system. Remember that, uh, oh, here's another one. Because of these receptors are also found in the central nervous system, including the brain, um, right now there's an FDA investigation into the risk of increased suicidality on GLP-1 agonists. So we don't know yet, but there's a proper investigation being done, are these drugs because of the influence on on her appetite regulation and reward pathways, are they making people wanna take their lives? So, you know, it's kind of a big deal if you're thinking about starting someone on this drug.
0: Wow, just wanna take a moment to thank Natalie for her super chat donation. She writes, thanks AJ, these doctors and your advice have changed my life. I'm officially in remission from rheumatoid arthritis Dr. Clapper says it's the food. So thank you. Dr. Clapper, I don't want to miss this question in the chat that just came in for you, but you both can answer it from Colleen. Um, I I believe Dr. Clapper, you watched Dr. McDougall's show Monday and this question came up and it is, do you have a word for obese that is not fat shaming? Because now apparently like I got in trouble once because I used the word obese because that's what I was told that you're supposed to use. You're not supposed to say somebody is fat. and, And I was told by this doctor, well, you're fat shaming them. So what do you say? Is there a word that we're, we are allowed to say now that won't offend people?
1: <laughs> they, uh, someone says you, you add suffering to the world more when you take offense offenses, when you give offense, uh, because no matter what term comes up, people... Uh, are very sensitive about uh, the amount of adipose tissue they are carrying. Uh, and as physicians, we focus on the health effects. The fact is that when people have excessive amounts of adipose tissue, uh, they are more prone to diabetes, to infections, to uh, high blood pressure. To, uh, and the uh, abdominal fat puts out uh, inflammatory cytokines, so obesity is all, usually a state of inflammation. And so we, and for us uh, to be told, well, you can't mention any of this, you know, you can't talk about this because people are, 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 are uh, sensitive about it. Um, so. Oh, great. Right in the middle, he froze. <laughs> are you, are you unfrozen,
0: Dr. Yeah. Burns?
2: I'm unfrozen. Yeah. So yeah. We, we have we're... Were you
0: taught anything about sensitivity or. Cause you're, you're a recent medical school graduate yeah. about what, what is the correct term for someone with, it's just such a long thing. Someone with extra adipose tissue.
1: Yes. That's as close as I can come and it leaves me shaking my head. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's <laughs> an acronym
0: EAT extra adipose tissue.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. enough.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Right. Yeah. Yes. You know,
0: it'd be interesting because I, I, if I don't anticipate that many people are going to their doctors and saying, give me these drugs and I'll, I'll I'll eat a whole food plant-based diet while I'm on them. It seems like for many people it just allows them to continue a bad diet. And even if they're now at an ideal body weight, can't the diet they're eating still cause all kinds of problems in their body, even if they're not overweight?
1: Oh, AJ, that's one of yeah. my major concerns. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, there's like a get out of jail free card. Oh, I can eat anything I want. And they proceed to then uh, go in excessive amounts of of meat and dairy and oils, et cetera. And and packing your intestines full of animal flesh two, three times a day is a recipe for colon cancer and for leaky gut leading to autoimmune diseases, to artery disease leading to heart attacks and strokes and dementia. Um, The the Western diet uh, carries all these diseases and these drugs, facilitate amplify um, the amount of, uh, of these pathogenic foods that people are eating. So I have a huge concern about that. Uh, and uh, but before this all swirls down the drain, you know, is there any possible use for these drugs? Well, as, uh, as I've inferred earlier there, and as well all three of us are aware, well, the real best treatment for, healthiest for treatment for obesity, of course, is uh, a diet of whole plant foods. Uh, because the calorie density is so low. These soups and salads and steamed veggies, they're mostly fiber and water. They, they don't they don't stick to you. They don't they don't add to weight uh on the body there. Uh, and and plus they bring in all these lovely phytonutrients that make you healthier. We all know the litany there. So the only use I can see for these drugs is okay. You want to go on for three months, six months, while while you are learning to eat a whole food, plant based diet. Okay, you know that, that would be the only possible use there. Uh, the, but the agreement, the contract has to be that you're we're coming off these drugs in X number of months, and and uh, your health coach and your plant based diet who you're seeing going to help you stay on a plant-based diet. That's how the, the, these drugs could be used, but they're really unnecessary. Truth of it is people eat a whole food plant-based diet. The, the body takes care of all this on its own, and you're not hungry.
0: Mm. Do you think people's resistance to doing it the way you recommend, the way I did it, but it took me 27 months to lose weight, it wasn't overnight, is it it takes too long or that if they're on a whole food plant-based diet, they have to avoid foods that they've come to know and love, familiar foods, pleasure trap foods, you know, cheese, things like that?
2: I think there's fear, right, in giving up foods. Right before I went vegan, I was afraid. Is my life gonna be a little worse? Um, or a lot worse because of foods that I'm giving up. I grew up eating everything. So there's some fear and there's sort of cultural tradition. And But I think the real issue is education. So we, we can be educated in our school systems, um, in medical settings, about what actual food does, you know, the, the power of food to revert. Because a lot of people are making decisions to pursue a, a riskier medication or a bariatric surgery. Um, because they haven't, they haven't had that education about what food and other lifestyle factors can actually do. So we need to work that into the system so that people can have a, a, a truly informed um, decision, right? We, we, before any procedure. So if I'm, if I'm doing a, a procedure in the office or doing a biopsy or putting in an IUD, they've read a, a written consent. And you have to provide, you have to explain the risks and benefits and alternatives. If we were that thorough about treatment for obesity, uh, I think a lot of people would make different decisions. We're not always so thorough. There are a lot of factors. Oh,
1: uh, the, no, go ahead.
2: Yeah. Well, so uh, I wanted to discuss, the, to get to the cost issue, which affects patients too, Um so, right, it's not just the, the system, but it's it's patients um, because they struggle to get these things covered by insurance. And then, as I mentioned, insurance can lapse. But right now, um, Wagovi and, and uh, Ozempic are around $1,200 a month, so about $15,000 a year, all right? Um, ZepBound and Manjaro are around, like, there, it's a thousand sixty something dollars. So let's say twelve thousand dollars a year. Um, that's actually a lot of money. So right now, um, the, our our national health expenditure per year is about four point five trillion dollars. Uh, if the people who are eligible for weight loss drugs, which and remember that forty two point five percent of Americans at this very moment uh, have obesity by their BMI. And you don't even ha- have, to hey, have say, obesity.
0: Say, say that number again. Four? did you say 42.5?
2: Right. 42.5% I mean, of the American population has obesity. That's almost half. On,
0: yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. And the projection for the year 2030 is for it to reach half. Every other one of us will have obesity. This is a huge public health crisis. Like this is, this is it. Um, and so I, I feel lucky to get to, to get to work on this issue because it is so pressing. Um, if everyone who's eligible for one of these drugs took them, I did the numbers earlier, our, our national healthcare expenditure would increase by 44%. So we're already spending more than any peer nation, any nation in the world in healthcare for questionable outcomes. It's about it's over 13,000 um, dollars a year per person okay if, if we went ahead and increased health expenditures by 44% just because of a medication it, it, the whole thing would collapse it's, it's not it's not even it, it's, it's not even a, a it's like a non-starter so so to say that you know for the for the drug companies or medical societies, to say that we really need everyone eligible for these drugs to be on them, I think is very myopic.
1: Dr. Burns, have you, um, in your hospital work or outpatient clinic, have you seen uh, drug uh, advertising go by directed at communities of color uh, for these drugs? Have you noticed any any racial inferences uh, involved in the marketing?
2: Yes. So there's some shady stuff going on. Basically, um, remember that the, the drug companies, their the patients have instrumental value. So we, let's get people on medication. We can get doctors prescribing it. Our profit margins increase. Our shareholders are happy. That's that's the business model. It's almost, it would be weird if they didn't take every step to achieve that end. Okay? Um, and that means you have some really bizarre situations where, uh uh novo nordisk eli Lilly, who make these drugs are generously donating to civil rights groups so the naacp um other groups that represent black and hispanic and asian uh communities they're donating to these groups and then and then the civil rights groups are advocating for legislation that would advance you know that would sort of ease the prescription and coverage for these drugs so as soon as a drug is covered by insurance then the the drug company is happy because they're going to get paid they don't care whether they're paid by the patient out of pocket or the insurance company if they're getting paid that's a great thing and because most people could never afford the list price for these medications they insurance coverage is a big deal for these companies they really so what they're doing right now is pushing legislation in in collaboration with the civil rights groups to get Medicare to cover these drugs. So, so far, Medicare, you're not allowed to cover weight loss drugs. It's just not something Medicare does. They're trying to change that. And they're leveraging uh, civil rights advocacy groups. And you think about the drug company, like, do they actually... Care about about these marginalized communities um, one dime. I mean, it's the most disingenuous effort that I've ever seen. It it, it actually makes me sad. Just, I mean, it's so nasty. These kind of tactics, and and yet this is this is just sort of uh, business as usual for them. They get creative. They have it, it, the pharma is the biggest lobby in Washington D.C. out of any other industry. Um, and they're, they're talented, got to hand it to them.
0: You know, mm-hmm. isn't Ozempic a drug that sometimes people with diabetes also get? And if so, how is it? Are there appropriate uses for it?
2: So yes, yeah, so Ozempic is indicated for diabetes itself, you don't need obesity. And it, ha- you know, they, they, they have demonstrated um, that you can reduce your A1C or average blood sugar by taking a uh, so Similar issues come up with the with the, tri- the integrity of these trials because they're 100% funded by the manufacturer. Um, clinically, I've seen some a- A1Cs go down a little bit, maybe half a point or, or a point. We're talking about percentage points. Um, is it the is it the solution to diabetes? No, it, it can't be. It's the same issue when you go off of it and it's not addressing the underlying cause. Um, remember that with diabetes, we have our insulin receptors are, are you can think of them as clogged. So that insulin knocks on the door of the cell. Hey, let me in, I wanna bring some sugar out of the bloodstream into the cell to be utilized. And it, no one's letting the insulin in, the door's locked basically because of a high fat, hyper-processed diet that's clogging and causing dysregulation in those insulin receptors. So Ozempic doesn't solve that problem. Um, it is what we call a Band-Aid solution.
0: It, would you recommend the GLP-1s over gastric bypass if somebody came to you and said, look, I'm forget this, I'm not gonna do the whole food plant-based diet, which do you think is the lesser of the evils?
1: Oh I definitely I would prefer the person uh, go on the Ozempic uh, because it's it's reversible uh, they may have a balloon in their weight etc once they stop it but at least their anatomy is still intact. Uh, when people have surgery to rearrange their digestive plumbing uh, on any level but certainly gastric bypass seems to be one of the most disruptive. Uh, the the GI physiology is never the same, and uh, and often the person is left with chronic problems, uh, uh, needing everything from digestive enzymes to chronic diarrhea. Um, so rather than uh, and that is irreversible, and because uh, the anatomy has been altered. So between the two, I'd rather they go on the Ozempic. I, I can help them with a plant based diet to do a healthy weight loss. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, the the cows out of the barn once they have the uh, surgery done.
0: How do these drugs even get approved? You mentioned that um, these trials, but aren't the trials sponsored by the drug companies to begin with?
2: They are. So there's that conflict of interest. And then once the trial is done, it, it goes to the FDA um, for approval. And unfortunately, the threshold for approval is pretty low. Um, you know, uh, the, the pharmaceutical industry might take issue with that and say, you know how much? We invest in these trials and this research. It's not easy to get a drug approved, but um, as a provider, you know these medications that don't work so well uh, are getting approved all the time, and they just need to demonstrate that they work, you know, a certain to a certain extent, and that they're safe enough. And I think that those thresholds should actually be higher. Um, if we're, if we're considering the best interests of patients who will be on the drugs. But in terms of uh, in terms of that, what were we just talking about remind? Oh, so bariatric surgery, I agree. I mean, bariatric surgery is so invasive. Let's, let's do anything before that. And I, still, I, I wouldn't, you know, recommend boycotting. Like, so a bariatric surgery may be very last resort in a very specific case it could be appropriate. It's just that we're doing too much of it because we're not thinking about upstream prevention and and treatment. And um, we're actually making bariatric surgery more likely because hospitals, knowing that surgery is really lucrative, they're investing in weight loss centers and bariatrics departments, um, snazzy new, new operating rooms, specifically for bariatrics. This is happening all over the country. And so it's, it's not really a coincidence that bariatric surgery is, is happening. It's like um, the, the obesity and diabetes industries, the hospitals, um, are investing in bariatric surgery. And one thing about GLP-1 agonists is that because they slow down gastric emptying, uh, they have a risk of gastroparesis, where the stomach just doesn't, it stops. It gets paralyzed, par, like parar in Spanish, Gastro, So it's, it, the food is not exiting the stomach, and that's part, part of why it works, because you feel full. But if you have too much paralysis in moving the bolus of food through the system, you can end up with a really problematic gastroparesis, and there are more and more cases of irreversible gastroparesis. So the drug does it to you, and then you go off the drug for several months, and you're stuck with that gastroparesis, which you never had before. And some people might not know, but diabetes itself is a risk factor for gastroparesis. So we're recommending a drug that, that increases that risk um, to a, a population who's already at risk uh, some of the people with irreversible gastroparesis need bariatric surgery anyway. They, they need to, someone to go in and reconfigure their upper GI system. So it's like, it's all part of the right. same issue.
1: And building on what Dr. Burns said, um, you know, I've been a doc for 50 years now and I, and I watched the 1970s and 80s and 90s roll by and every decade, uh, the, we get the phenomenon of the big, big oops, you know, the drug companies will announce a drug that everybody says, oh, it's wonderful, it stops pain, it stops inflammation, whatever. And after five years, 10 years, oops, we didn't realize that this drug also XYZ <clears throat> and causes increased risk of stroke, a heart attack, or whatever. We've seen so many drugs pulled off the of Pondamin and Fenformin and darviset and, and <clears throat> drugs that I, that I would be prescribing all the time. Oops, we didn't realize. Well, it's just a matter of time before these uh, GLP-1 drugs have a big oops attached to them. Dr. Burns just described it. Oops, we didn't realize that it, cause, it can cause a, a long-term gastroparesis. <clears throat> and on top of that, well, guess, well, can we do anything about that? Yes, there's a drug for that. Um, there's a drug called um, metoclopramide, Reglan, that will force the stomach to empty, uh, and so you give the give the Reglan to counteract the gastroparesis that the. Uh, that the ozempic caused, Um, but the problem with that is that that the reglan can can affect the motor uh, function, motor cells in the brain, and and the person winds up with this dreadful state of tardive dyskinesia where they, they lose their fine muscle coordination, you know, this whole cascade Of side effects builds off from the oops we didn't realize that, and and I think it's just a matter of time before the big oops list on these drugs starts getting longer and longer. Again, it's the food, you know. And then they'll
0: develop more drugs to treat the side effects of
1: the side effects of the tardive dyskinesia, which they already have. They're advertised on Mm six o'clock TV commercials um, about these drugs to overcome tardive dyskinesia. It's You know, it's interesting because I I don't watch regular television, but I do have some shows
0: on streaming, you know, but there's still commercials like and almost all the commercials are for drugs and for conditions I've never even heard of. But then at the end, when they have this little thing, I mean, it's just crazy all the side effects, you know, anal leakage and, and it's like. I mean, why are they even advertising drugs to people, number one? And, you know, you mentioned Darvaset. Boy, I haven't heard that since I was 11. I used to take that drug for menstrual cramps. I loved it. And when it went off the market, it was terrible. It's like, what am I going to take now?
2: Uh,
1: indeed. Um, again, the, the old tiger by the tail. And, uh, and it and is sad and, and really unnecessary. So much of this could just be changed with with healthy nutritional patterns. Absolutely.
0: Well, okay, okay playing no. devil's, first of all, I'm sure you know that I'm not a fan. I mean, I, I think people have the right to do whatever they want. I personally, am not a fan. I took fenfen, and it was great while I was on it, but then once, once the FDA took it off, all my weight came back, but could someone argue that the risk of having excess body fat and maybe a, di- a diabetes is worse than doing nothing. So if the patient isn't willing to change their diet, they should be taking these drugs and instead of doing nothing.
2: So I th- I think the drugs are here; they're not going away. Um, we we they deserve to know about them, um, but you know they need a really balanced explanation of their options, right, in the exam room. So if a patient told me, like this happened yesterday, a patient said he's over four hundred pounds. He's, he's struggling emotionally. He's, he has hypoventilation, The weight on his chest is so severe. He's struggling to breathe at night. I mean, it, it, it's he's really struggling. He said, uh, you know, after a really balanced discussion, he wanted to start um, a GLP-1 agonist. And we can't even, even if I want it, I couldn't do that overnight because it's going to be a whole process with his insurance and we'll see if it works. But I'm open to prescribing that for him because I think that's, that's his right. Uh, but for the system to aggressively promote these drugs and for, and to infiltrate medical societies and med school curricula so that we systematically make these drugs a huge deal. And basically the first line, you know, we, we, we pay lip service. We say, well, first line should be lifestyle. And then that's it. And and then we spend, you know, a hundred times more um, curricular hours discussing pharmacology. So, so Ultimately, a patient, I think, should be able to go on one of these, but so many fewer would if if we, were doing, if we were really doing real medicine and education.
0: Yeah, I've got some questions from some of the live viewers on Instagram, and one of them is, why does weight come back? Is it because the hunger comes back when you come off the drug, or does just stopping the drug automatically cause weight gain?
2: So, yeah, the hunger comes right back. And, right, that's the main mechanism on, on the in sort of the experiential level. Why uh, am I losing weight? It's because you're, you're not nearly as hungry as before. Your appetite has been totally um, changed. And, and when you, as soon as you stop the drug, you revert to your regular appetite. So, yeah, I, I can't think of any case in which someone's been able to keep the drug, the, the weight off. But back to the, the point, I mean, wouldn't it be interesting if we had a course in med school on, um, you know, the, the, the drugs that were taken off the market because of different issues? I think we need to know that history, but just society today in general is so fast paced, um, in medicine in particular, that it's all, it, it feels like all we have time to do is figure out the, the present and the future. But, I mean, we need some perspective from the past. Just look at the opioid settlements. So drug companies are paying out billions of dollars uh, because, of, uh, because they, they were found to have known the addictive quality of these opioids just taking so many people's lives. It's ruined so many people's lives. I, I They're my patients. It's horrible um, what the loosening pre- uh, prescription of opioids did to our, to our culture. And it's, I mean, so if there's any doubt about the fallibility of the pharmaceutical industry, um, and, and their deception, just look at the opioid crisis.
0: Yeah. So coming to, back to your thought about the hunger comes back, there's another question on Instagram, which is, can you talk comment on the mechanism and action of fiber that acts very similar to these drugs by reducing food noise and turning down the apostat.
1: Well, when you eat a high fiber diet, and we're just, again, talking about uh, soups and salads and steamed veggies, whole plant foods. uh, The small intestine, you know, the upper part of the GI tract uh, breaks down the food, uh, and, uh, and does the absorption of the nutrients. By the time the food mass gets down to the colon, down to the bottom there, it's mostly, just, and mostly fiber. Uh, but, the, but that's exactly what the doctor ordered for, the, uh, for all the wonderful microbes we have living in our colon. And they love the resistant starches and the, and the various types of uh, fibers that come down. And it, it nourishes those microbes. And in turn, those microbes, as they digest the, uh, the fiber, uh, for their own needs uh, they one they create molecules like butyrate that that, uh, that nourish the the colon wall. but also other molecules, um, these small ones, uh, from the fiber get absorbed into the bloodstream and as they flow back up through the brain um, they have a mild effect similar to the uh to the glp1 drugs they will suppress uh the hunger center in the brain so uh it's a, a three-way bank shot the, the fiber down to the cold to the bacteria and then up back through the bloodstream to the brain Uh, But the effect is the same after eating a uh, a, a diet uh, or a meal full of wonderful curries and chilies and uh, uh, with lots of uh, beans and legumes in it. uh, For the next hour, you're really not uh, that hungry. And part of that is not only the the mechanical filling of the intestines, which also releases your own GLP-1, but also the the fiber byproducts uh, are also in the brain and they also suppress hunger. Mother Nature knows what she's doing. The body knows what it's doing. You Eat healthy foods, and you won't be hungry until your next honestly deserved meal comes along. Wow!
2: So, how, how do we get? The- Sorry, so ninety-five percent of Americans do not get the basic daily allowance of fiber. Um, so, imagine if we tackled appetite issues from that standpoint, right? If we just made an effort to get people enough fiber through whole foods. Remember that by definition, plant foods are high in fiber. Um, we could probably do a lot to regulate appetite that way because, I mean, and, and you, you look at um, the, the, the numbers, it's only 5% of us get enough fiber. So that's pretty concerning.
0: I'm surprised the pharmaceutical industry doesn't develop a prescription fiber pill.
1: Well, they they have uh, Metamucil, so oh, oh, but, a Metamucil. But,
0: but but oh, that's fiber. not a thousand dollars a month. They're not making enough money on that one. That's, that's the right. thing.
2: It's the patents have run out, right? It's just it's just fiber, and so it's not lucrative for them. They don't. That's not. They're not. You don't see fiber ads. Actually, I did recently see a Metamucil ad. So there must be something in it for them. But of course, you know, it's it's actual fiber that's. Uh, encapsulated in real food that's part of um, a whole food diet that's gonna do the best work.
0: One of the viewers is saying, well, I tried a plant-based diet for four days, but I'm diabetic and my sugars went up.
1: Uh, there is an art. If you t- truly have diabetes, now it depends if you have type one or type two diabetes. Um, if it's type two diabetes, by far the most common, uh, the usual cause is that the insulin receptors are clogged up with fat, uh, and uh, but they're still there, they're still working, uh, and as one goes on a low-fat, well, whole-food, plant-based diet, uh, as the weeks go by, the insulin receptors unclog, and, you know, and insulin starts working better, and the blood sugars come down. Uh, and um, as our friends over at the program Mastering Diabetes that I really recommend to all the viewers here uh, will tell you, there, there's an art to food selection in those early days to minimize the the rise in blood sugar, and you really wanted the low fat foods. And, you know, that's that's another program in itself. But do not let those uh, a few days of high blood sugars. Uh, throw you off a truly healthy nutrition program like a whole food plant-based diet is. But there is fine tuning and there are certain food patterns that, that are helpful, but it's certainly not a, a reasons, oh, I can't do this, my blood sugar goes up. Yeah, it's going to go up, it'll come down. Uh, and, uh, and again, learn about it, become a student of diabetes through the Mastering Diabetes Program, but, do, but don't uh, let a, a elevation blood sugar throw you off the, uh, the, tr- re- the true trail towards health there.
0: I'm curious uh, question for both of you, because this comes up a lot, because some of the doctors on the show are advocates of this disease, if you will. Others don't believe it's real food addiction. Is this something you think is real? Is it something taught in medical school? Because I know, Dr. Clapper, you say it's the food. But what is it that makes people, you know, become 400 pounds? What makes it not be able to stop eating the food? Because it hasn't been around for most of human history. And now it seems to be the problem.
1: Hmm. well i think a part of it is uh, is the the term itself addiction is such a loaded word here and when i went to med school the definition i learned of addiction uh, is the regular ingestion of a substance that when it is no longer ingested causes physical withdrawal symptoms mm. and if a person is addicted to heroin, they stop taking the heroin. They have physical withdrawal symptoms of the nausea, etc. Even caffeine, where it's caffeine headaches, can be quali- uh, the withdrawal syndrome can be qualified as an addiction. Um, so when it's applied to eating, do people, if, if they don't get a cheeseburger, are they going to go into actual withdrawal? No, you know, it's not that kind of, uh, I don't think the, the term addiction is truly medically applicable to, to what we're talking about that said uh as people talk about that food noise if uh the, you know they're they're constantly thinking and replaying that sensation as you bite into the burger the salty sweet chewy meaty sensation people really crave that and the food companies know that very well uh and they they certainly produce products that uh that pander to that um and uh, and it becomes the you know the focus of one's life there, and that combination of fat and sugar uh, is just particularly um, obesogenic, if you will. The, the the You burn the sugar and you store the fat, uh, and that's what the most of these foods are. And so uh, and and we're in a society where where they where we augment that. Uh, I had a patient who had real problems with uh, uh, with uh, controlling their eating uh, choices, and 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 they said something very enlightening to me. They said, "Doc, you know, if you were a true drug addict, uh, and uh, you are taking all these drugs, and you're driving down the street, and the signs on the stores were a heroin." Methamphetamine, cocaine, you know, uh, what temptation that would be, of course, uh, for someone who's truly addicted to drugs. Well, someone who can't control their eating uh, choices. What do you see when you drive down the street? Burgers, fries, pizza, chicken? Uh, you know, it's that kind of society we're in, I, I have such compassion for these people, because those are this, uh, the, just seeing those words completes that circuit in their brain, they can taste it, they, they want that uh, sensation again. <clears throat> and so the in this, uh, uh, this pathogenic food environment that we've created here, the poor person struggling with their weight, you know, ricochets from one uh, temptation to the next. And there's no real help for them. And I don't blame them for wanting the pill or the shot if it helps them get out of that swamp. And one of the best things they say is that, you know, the food noise re- re- retreats, uh, recedes. And and that alone, I think, has its most powerful um, uh, effect. And as Dr. McDougall would say, of course, they, they don't feel like eating. They're borderline nauseated all the time. It makes them feel sick. Uh, but for whatever reason um the uh I wouldn't call it a t- true addiction but it's a cynical manipulation of of classical conditioning and and visceral conditioning we have to to make people constantly want uh that sensation of just having taken that piece of pizza or that burger or that, that hot dog or that chicken wing uh and we constantly fan those flames and it's a yeah society doesn't really have to do that, but they're making lots of money doing it. And so it it continues. And so my heart goes out to people trapped in uh, uh, in that uh, in that web of uh, temptation and uh, seduction. Yeah. and uh, so I can understand why people are attracted to these medications. Absolutely.
0: And, uh, hey, Dr. Burns, since you, you went to medical school more recently than Dr. Claffer, what did they teach you in medical school about the true cause of obesity and metabolic syndrome? What did they say the cause was?
2: I don't know if it really came up. <laughs> it um, never came up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I don't remember that That's lesson funny. and, you know, I would have paid attention. It's it, it sort of, it, it's, it's, it's taught the way it's taught. It's sort of okay. We have this um, we have this epidemiological situation where there's a high and increasing prevalence of obesity, diabetes, heart disease. Um, they describe the pathophysiology, but more on the molecular level. We don't really ta- you know. So never did they say um, we have you know increased energy consumption and sedentary lifestyle resulting in this sort of net positive energy with the positive adipose and sort of the, I mean, it, it didn't really come up. And so that's, that's why we had to make our extracurricular group plant-based healthcare, to make sure our classmates got that info. We invited Dr. Clapper to speak. So students are hungry for it, they're doing it on their own, but yeah, it'd be nice if it was a standard feature of the curriculum.
0: That's so- Just on the,
2: on the addiction piece, yeah, you know, whether or not it's a proper addiction, there's, there's some overlap, right? As soon as these hyper palatable foods that are engineered that way, as you said, as soon as they start to rewire your neurocircuitry, right? Your brain chemistry, um, and the reward system and the dopamine, then you, you, you may not have acute withdrawal, but you're going to have cravings when you stop, you're going to have, right? So that, that's why cravings are such a powerful way that uh, these behaviors are uh, perpetuated um be- because people like they if, if you've been on sugar or fat or fast food or um you you will continue your, your, uh, The brain it's, it, so there's this there's this low level of uh, dopamine and you, you get a, a trigger this and this overlaps with with addiction to, to drugs um, you get this uh, low-level uh, dopamine secretion, and it's saying, ooh, I just thought of that trigger. I really would like to consume that thing. And uh, it bothers you, and, and it, 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 there's this drive for you to pursue um, that consumption until the moment it lands in your mouth. Uh, and then you get a big dopamine spike, okay? And then it, and then it sort of goes down again. And you're and you're back in that state where after a, a couple of hours after the fast food meal you're gonna crave it again. It was it was never a, a truly satisfying uh, fix. It was just you just you got your fix temporarily, and you're gonna need one predictably uh, a few hours later. So yeah, it's
0: something. You know, I don't know what to say because it's. It's such a difficult subject to broach with people, I'm sure, you know. They're very it sensitive is. about their their way. I mean, but yet I mean they, they, I'm sure they're aware of it because they that's why they want to take these drugs. And I understand it too. When I would when I you know, when my doctor offered me fenfen I was like, sign me up. It was great. Because in addition to, I mean, I could eat anything I wanted because I wasn't hungry. And the weight literally fell off in just a couple of months. And I was, I was basically the weight I was now. But instead of taking 27 months, like it did with whole food, plant-based eating, it took about three. But man, then the letter came in the mailbox from the FDA and the supply was cut off. And I was ordered to get an echocardiogram because many people had heart lung defects. And it came back as quickly as it came off, probably more quickly, but then even more weight came off because I learned absolutely nothing. I just didn't get so hungry I could eat one cupcake instead of six you know drink one Dr. Pepper instead of six so I, I don't know it's I'd love to hear from people that are on it and their experience if, if it's the be all and end all you know.
2: Were you scared when you got that letter? They go get an echo. Oh, yeah,
0: because I mean, I was I was in my 30s, and I I mean, I'd never seen a cardiologist, and I've never seen one since. And I, and I had known this guy you know, since I was little, and it was like, yeah, it was pretty scary because like I, I don't want a hole in my heart or my lung, you know. But at the same time, I was like, <gasps> you know, you know. So I, I mean, mean, I get it. So I'm not judging people that take it. I really understand it because it's you know we're always looking for shortcuts. You know, conservation of energy. You know, it's it's easier, but. Um, You know, I think about you can do it right or you can do it over. So it'll be interesting, you know, if this show is still on the air five or 10 years having you back and not to say, see, I told you so, because I am genuinely worried about what long-term side effects can be for people. Also, what I'm hearing is you mentioned how expensive they are. So it it takes many, many years for a drug to be less expensive, right? Something like 17 years or so. But my understanding is that if a person gets to a normal BMI, the drug company, the insurance company that may be paid for it, won't pay for it anymore because now they're normal weight, but then they still need the drug. So now they're going to have to pay for it themselves.
2: And I'm sure that the drug company is already working on uh, a that, that solution for that, to keep this thing covered, knowing that the weight comes back. Um, it, yeah. I, for a patent, it may be seven years until it goes to the generic price, but, uh, and then 11 years, I believe for biologics, but they, what they do what we've seen with humira right the one for rheumatoid arthritis what they do is they create a new pet pa- it's a new version of the same drug but it has one little molecular tweak and all of a sudden if you start over the, the clock resets you get another seven or eleven years on the clock of that exclusivity in the market and super expensive so to to date humira is the most has grossed the most sales of any drug because they were doing that kind of um all
1: those tactics. Hmm. Yeah, and also they have to play for the fact that um if you graph the the weight loss progression, uh weight comes down dramatically on these drugs for about the first year and a half. After about 17 18 months, the weight loss plateaus. You stop losing the weight. You're wherever you you've you've lost about 20% of your initial body weight. You've lost your 40 pounds or 50 pounds and then the weight loss stops and you're uh, You're just uh, stuck on that plateau. Well, are the drug companies going to keep paying for it at that point? We'll find out. Uh, And people should be aware that this is not uh, a magic ticket to that slim figure that you've been looking for. The weight loss uh, eventually stops after about a year and a half.
0: Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Uh, One of the live viewers on Instagram says, "I go every time I go vegan, by midnight, I'm eating chicken or meat. I have strong cravings. Is it related to my type 2 diabetes?
2: So there you go. People do experience cravings. I think it's hard to know with this individual um, what kind of, right? Because we know some people who go plant-based, it's not necessarily a balanced diet, and you can have a super unhealthy plant-based diet. Um, when, you, when you have support, when you have the education, when you have a medical professional involved and you pursue a whole plant food diet, um, you will do, do great. It's just, it's, we see it predictably. We see people um, enjoy it and do well. But if it's, you know, some of these plant based diets, if, if it's like you're just trying it out, um, it, it, you may need some more balanced nutrients. For instance, some people don't get enough calories. Um, they're not used to the volume that sometimes you'd have to eat on a plant based diet because the calorie density is really low the nutrient density is high, sometimes you have to eat a bit more. So that's that's one thing, you know, that can help people thwart the cravings. Another one is um, to make sure they're getting fiber from, from unprocessed foods, again, for appetite control, um, drinking plenty of fluids, exercising, sleeping. Sleeping is so key for appetite regulation. Um, you know, in hospitals, we wake people up So, so it's a big problem. Um, People can't ever get enough sleep. And it's hard to get better that way. So without knowing this person's specific situation, it's, it's, it's about, you know, getting the resources to do it right. But I totally believe in you.
0: One of the uh, lab- oh,
1: go ahead, Dr. Clapper. Sorry. Um, and here's one place, and again, I know it's a semi controversial subject here, uh, but but that I felt so bad for that person, you know, that by midnight I'm, I'm eating chicken again. Here's one place where those, um, the plant based faux oh, meats there. They're the, the chicken nuggets and the and the veggie burgers that are made of plant foods. But if you're really, really but they're pretty close in taste and texture and she's just looking for that taste and texture hit there. I'd rather she chomp into a, a plant-based uh, chicken cutlet than a, uh, than a real one. And because that will slowly start changing her desires for taste and textures, et cetera. And it's uh, a transition food. And this is one place where it might really serve her well, you know, stay on it forever. But here's one place where I think those foods may have a role.
0: Wow. So Heather, who's watching live says she's on it, but she's, a, she's only losing about a half a pound a week. And it's given her a GERD and acid reflux.
1: Uh, again, you're yeah. dealing with human beings, and uh, you do. You give to a thousand people, you're going to get a whole range of responses. And you know the bell-shaped curve. Many people will do just fine on them, but at the tails of those of that bell-shaped curve, some folks are going to not lose the weight. Other ones will lose the weight, but have hellacious side effects along with it. Uh, again, we are not mechanical devices. We are biological creatures, and you're going to see variation in the responses that we have to be prepared for. Yeah. yeah
2: and it's a good point that there are going to be people watching this video who are on these drugs who struggle in so many ways with their chronic diseases we are on your team uh you might be on the medication we're not saying immediately stop it right talk to your doctor but you want to right now start incorporating healthy lifestyle habits um namely whole plant food eating style among other healthy lifestyle behaviors, so that th- th- you can ultimately come off this thing and and be a well-integrated, well-adjusted, you know, a healthy, the best version of you. So um, that is what what we wish for you.
0: And anyone see either of you as a doctor?
1: Uh, mean out of this time i've uh, i'm just reorienting my uh my practice um uh, hopefully in the next few months uh, i'll be able to uh uh to accept new patients uh, uh D- dr burns you're uh, going to be relocating to rochester new york uh, in a family practice up there um
2: i will yeah so right now i'm in residency and so it kind of goes through the residency clinic and i can't do consults or anything but Um, Yeah, and then I'll be in Rochester, New York, and it's yet to be seen. But um, what I will be doing then starting this summer is I'm going to work alongside Dr. Clapper with Moving Medicine Forward. And so you'll see us around, um, but in terms of one-on-one clinical, maybe not yet. What I can offer is is my humble website, herbivores.life, where you can read my, my stuff. I have a writing section and a blog on some of these issues and the writing gets a little bit, bit more big picture and creative, so you might enjoy it.
0: Wow, I, you're not gonna be working with like Ted Barnett by any chance in Rochester or Tom, Tom Campbell, are you?
2: Yeah, it's a good crew up there. I won't work with them directly. I mean, we're gonna collaborate. I hope they'll they'll uh, have me on the, the Rochester Lifestyle Medicine Institute. Uh, you know, They do some great case reports and everything.
0: Is that where you live by any chance?
2: I will, I'm moving to Rochester, yeah, this summer.
0: I'm going there in July, you want to say hey? Of course. Um, have you ever heard of Cuca College? In oh, I'm thinking I think yeah, you're I'm speaking there, there, Dr. Clapper. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be, that, you and I are going to have And Duh, <laughs> and Brad, Brad is watching, the, the provost. Dr. Clapper and I are going to be doing a, a conference there together with Dr. Gregor and Dr. Ted Barnett and Dr. Kerry Graff, maybe you could come.
2: Well, I'll be, I'll be around. I, I look forward to seeing you all there.
0: That would be great. Good. Thank you so much. This has just been, yeah, I mean, you, 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 generally picked the topic, but really, really engaging conversation. And I know you helped a lot of people.
2: Great to be here with you, Chef AJ. And I love this snazzy hat, by the way.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Well, this was, this was your idea, you know, because that I'm sure Dr. Clapper knows he's always welcome on my show anytime, but it was your idea to bring him on with you. So thank you, Dr. Burns. See, young doctors, so smart, aren't they?
1: Yes. Gives me hope.
0: <laughs> we got to get you out there, Doctor Clapper. Not that you're not already out there. <laughs> any Any word on the book, Doctor Clapper?
1: It's slowly coming along. I've got the first draft uh, in my inbox here that I got to go over and proofread, but we're we're inching to it. Hopefully, by the by the autumn, by the fall, we'll have it. Uh, right. Well, we we
0: will we will promote the heck out of it, and to help sure. you. You make everyone know. Well, thank you, Dr. Burns, Dr. Clapper, and thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific time for Nutrition Insights with Dr. Peter Rogers. He's going to be talking about the skinny on fats, and he thinks differently than a lot of the other guests, so be sure to tune in. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much for watching. Bye-bye.